I believe that my personal concept and internalization of masculinity is guided by three big things, and those are being vulnerable, community, and service. There is a strong link between personal growth and vulnerability, and there is a lot of strength rooted in that connection. In my upbringing as a Dominican, a lot of masculinity came from a place of exuding power in order to replace fear. And my experience now as a 33-year-old man masculinity has become about accepting where I am powerless. More often than not, I find myself finding power, not by exuding it, but by being of service. I've kind of learned that my masculinity is really about learning what it means to love unconditionally. I'm Erin. I'm a spicy white butch lesbian living in Durham, North Carolina. I identify heavily with masculinity, but not with any specific gender, which many folks don't understand initially. Gender feels contrived to me, and no one gender has ever felt like it really fit. As a non-man who's masculine of center, masculinity to me feels like a way I relate to the world. It's an expression, how I dress and move and talk. It's an action, how I care for and protect others. I reject the notion that masculinity cannot be soft, compassionate, and vulnerable. I think knowing how to be soft yet firmly boundaried can actually be a very masculine flex. This is Embodied. I'm Anita Rao. I signed up for Women's Studies 101 on a whim when I needed an extra elective to fill up my schedule during my first semester of college. Little did I know at the time that this one course would lead to seismic shifts in how I understood the world, and eventually in my understanding of myself. It's not that I hadn't thought about social history or equality before. It's more that I was encouraged for the first time to take a really deep look at my own beliefs about gender and consider the water I'd been swimming in my whole life. Where did my definitions of femininity and masculinity come from? What messaging did I question? And what did I accept? If it sounds like I was an existential teenager, you're right. As I started turning over these big questions 15 years ago, my impulse was to first look at my own family. And we've had many big conversations about gender and power over the years because I'm not the only one with thoughts about this. Here's my younger brother, Nikki Lesh. The parts about me that are most masculine are my ever-continuing development of my emotions as well as my caretaking instincts. In today's society, I feel that toxic culture teaches men that we need to be these hardened, giga-chad type men who exert this hyper-masculine energy, whether it's in the gym or with their relationships with women or their friends. In reality, I found that being more in touch with my emotions has felt far more masculine than that traditional toxic view the internet tells you about. Uh, I constantly look for ways to help out my loved ones in my life and something I take strong pride in for my masculinity. Nikki Lesh is one of many people interrogating the standards of masculinity they were raised with and redefining the concept on their own terms today. 
Both of my parents came from households that upheld pretty traditional gender norms, and our own upbringing was similar. My mom's personality is also that she's a caretaker to her core and always putting other people first. So it's interesting to hear how that has rubbed off on my brother and informed how he thinks about masculinity. Someone else who also grew up in a pretty gendered household, Ocean Way. You know, from my early memories, what I learned about masculinity is mostly like what I've been warned against. Mostly like you shouldn't like climb rocks, play with muds, or like act quote unquote masculine. Ocean is a rising senior at Kenyon College in Ohio and a trans writer. He was born in Beijing, and as a teenager, he and his family made a big move from China to rural Missouri. And late in high school, he came out as trans. Like, it's rural Missouri is a pretty religious community as well, so gender was definitely more traditionally defined. And, you know, it's like masculinity meant that the men doing outdoor work or drinking with other dads or... Unfortunately, most of the time, acting homophobic. <laughs> so, I don't know. I think at that point, since I was pretty young, like, my view of it is just like, oh, this is how American men act, which is definitely a pretty narrowed viewpoint. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, since then, I feel like, unfortunately, because I was pretty dysphoric as a teen and was also just like, assimilating culturally due to like you know survival reasons i definitely have internalized a lot of that and when i started transitioning i presented pretty quote-unquote masculine partially for safety reasons and also partially because i was seeking a lot of validation tell me a little bit more about that so you came out as trans in high school and early in your transition um you were noticing this very kind of narrow view of the masculinity that you were feeling like you were going to perform or you were encouraged to perform? What was that specifically? Um, What did that look like? It's a lot of stereotypical stuff. I have tried to like walk in a certain way, like taking wider steps, not swaying my hips as much or performing in a certain manner, like moving my arms less, even just keeping a straight face and like laughing less, which is really sad thinking back about (laughs) <laughs> and just like, and presentation wise, I bust my hair, I brought clothes from the boys section in Goodwill. <laughs> I tried to speak from my chest, all that stuff. When you began making those shifts, did you notice that people were treating you in a particular way? And, and, and I guess, what did that make you think about in terms of your own personal definition of masculinity? A lot of what I noticed is just like, misogyny that I have stopped receiving (laughs) like or that like I'm being catcall less or like or I don't know it's it's a tricky question to answer on that part because I know like a lot of trans masculine person actually like receive the same harassment and I don't want to minimize that Hmm. but my experience that I was like being affected a little less and I was also noticing that racism was like manifesting differently to Asian women, Asian men, obviously. So, and in terms of masculinity, at first, when I was presenting that way, I was feeling like it was pretty freeing because I feel like that has been raw for me my whole life. But in time, it feels 
a little, it became feeling weird and it began feeling like I'm still performing a lot. And I know performing gender is not necessarily bad, but I was feeling odd because I thought I was supposed to feel natural and not feel like I'm performing something. But I definitely was because masculinity as a construction was not anything natural <laughs> to me or to most people. I love that point that it it kind of brought to the fore how much of of all of gender is socially constructed, even if there was kind of some relief about feeling like externally you were being seen the way you felt on the inside. It still is is a creation in a lot of ways. Is there um, yeah. you started taking testosterone, I know, as part of your transition. And testosterone is something that we get a lot of specific cultural messaging about when it comes to gender, whether that's oh, there are links between testosterone and aggression or testosterone is responsible for causing these certain behaviors. Tell me more about some of those narratives that you began to think about in your own head when you started taking testosterone. You know, I feel like this is something I've been thinking about a lot because I feel like there's something very paradoxical that trans men face. Like, on one hand, we're supposed to meet this expectation of masculinity to get our gender validated. And but at the same time, I feel like we're supposed to retain a sense of femininity where maybe that was not exactly accurate, but we're supposed to like not quote unquote become our enemy, like the patriarchy. So the messaging that testosterone is associated with aggression is definitely I feel like something I was afraid of and a lot of my trans mass friend was afraid of, of like becoming this monster, which is definitely a very transphobic and bioessentialist message because that's saying like someone who is assigned male at birth is inherently less nurturing and just loving. And I feel like that's a very harmful message, <laughs> but it was definitely something in my mind when I started testosterone. On the other hand, when I started tea, I actually was super relieved because I was actually more comfortable presenting in a more traditional feminine way, like wearing skirts or more colorful clothing because I feel like I'm able to present as my gender and being perceived as my gender more often. So I was more comfortable experimenting with different presentation. Hey, y'all, it's Anita. Before we get to the rest of the show, I want to let you know about a new podcast from Slate that I think you are going to love. It's called Well Now. You know that we're living in this era of TikTok health trends and over-reliance on Google for medical advice. So Well Now is going to help you cut through the noise. Hosts Maya Feller and Dr. Kavitha Patel will help you get to the heart of what wellness means for you. Every Wednesday, they're going to give you new insights into wellness and how to reach it through conversations with experts and people just like you. Plus, their vibe is super down-to-earth, honest, and evidence-based. They'll dive into topics we most want to learn about, from the sober curious movement to the lies we're told about exercise to how ER taught thousands of people about cervical cancer. So go ahead and follow Well Now in your podcast app and save it for later. That's Well, Now from Slate. Available wherever you get your podcasts. 
Hey, Embodied listeners, it's Cam and my wife Taryn from the Staying Up podcast. Don't you just miss the good old days? Like when we couldn't get legally married? Well, no, obviously not that part. But I mean, when you just have sleepovers with your best girlies all the time. I mean, yeah, sleepovers are the best. You're staying up late, you're talking hot goss, Mm -hmm. and you pour your little baby heart out before maybe having a little moment under the covers. Oh, Mm -hmm. well, lucky for us, we get to do that every night. But once a week, we invite you to join in. So tune in every week to Staying Up, where we drink up, cozy up, and stay up. We'll see you there. In the past decade or so, since I left more formal environments for talking about gender, like my women's studies classrooms, I've noticed that more and more people are talking about gender as a social construct, acknowledging that beliefs about masculinity are fluid and differ depending on our cultural context, ethnic, racial, and religious backgrounds, and geography. But when you try to really pin it down, it can be tough. Like, how do we actually define masculinity? My understanding of gender sometimes can just feel like a big question. And like as soon as I, as I try to put like a microscope on it, it seems to just like evaporate, which is kind of when you said that to the water around us when talking about gender, it's like often how I feel. That's Anjan Alavander. They're the founder and a core team member of MASK, a discussion-based platform that aims to evolve and heal relationships with masculinity. Anjan started the community in the summer of 2019. They'd recently begun to identify as non-binary and were thinking a lot about their own relationship with masculinity. They got together with a few friends in New York City and organized a discussion group. Since then, Mask has hosted discussions in a number of cities on a range of topics, from men relearning love to exploring how masculinity shows up in our working lives. Anjan often plays the role of facilitator in those conversations, which is fitting because they've been examining and questioning masculinity themselves since they were very young. I was lucky to have the inspiration of my own dad um, for in terms of like what could be described as healthy masculinity. I think that he was he was always like very like playful and very compassionate growing up um, and always like soft with me and I think that that was kind of a core core thing that I tended to emulate growing up. I think that something that kind of really shaped my relationship with gender and masculinity growing up was kind of in that search of like, how do I like strive to be masculine or like, how do I strive to be seen as like a boy? I kind of was, I kind of gave up on that kind of pretty yeah. early. Like, I remember initial, initially trying to do that and then be feeling like I wasn't ever really let in. And then just being like, you know what? Like, I'm actually not super interested in that because it's just, like, not super appealing to me. And being like, I'm just, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> you know, like, I'm, I'm good where I am. And uh, Well, what did that mean for you in terms of your social life? Did it mean that you built more friendships with women? Did it mean that you, like, you know, you chose different activities where you were kind of forced less to fit into a specific gender box? What did it actually look like in the day-to-day? Yeah, I mean, so I I grew up in North Carolina, and I grew up going to a school system that was predominantly white. Um, and in, in finding ways to try to relate with other boys, like, it felt like I wasn't being allowed in. And in some of the ways, like, to bond, like, they were pretty also, like, heteronormative and just, like, pretty, like, standard. And honestly, as, like, a young brown person, particularly a young brown boy, it felt like masculinity was something that was, like, never actually achievable. But 
Yeah, it just felt like there was not really ever a way for me to properly, I would ever fully be a quote-unquote man. And it looked often like me being like the like butt of jokes, kind of hard to point to to like specific examples without it turning into like a therapy session. <laughs> but it just, it just was like a vibe around there. Yeah. That like in mass spaces, I was the, the like the weaker person. And I found myself like gravitating towards women, gravitating towards girls um, when I was younger. And like, and it's kind of interesting because it's like part of what allowed me to have those friendships was that same like demasculized brown boy energy. It's like I wasn't seen as like someone that was like could be uh, like dating material or whatever. Um, I was seen as a friend and that was like I, I honestly hold that and held that as like a privilege or an honor in some ways because in a lot of ways I was allowed to be in situations that another boy might not have been allowed to, you know, like at an all-girl slumber party. So you, I mean, you had access to spaces from a young age where there were a variety of gender identities and expressions. And, you know, as you went through your life, I know in your early 20s, you started to question your own gender identity and had this real um, kind of renegotiation with masculinity again. Now that you are in this space where you are actively gathering folks in conversation about gender identity. What do you notice about um, your own personal philosophy about what masculinity is as someone who has been questioning it for so long and someone who's been in spaces where you have access to a variety of people and how they think about it for so long? For me personally, like masculinity is how I play with my own like expression of self and expression of like personalities. And I also think about masculinity in terms of, like, how I relate with other people, like, very, very often. Um, and particularly with friendship in mask, something we talk about often is building relationships with other folks and how expressions of masculinity have gotten in the way of our community building, our friendship building. And I've noticed, particularly with my masculine friendships, friendships with men, there's, like, a lot there's this feeling of like almost like fear of change or like fear of like disrupting the status quo um and like fear of like not being chill <laughs> that kind of keeps us from like pushing or has kept us from like pushing against the grain or like pursuing a different way um of being that might feel better to us as we grow I think a fear of mine is like, okay, if I'm going to try to be a different way with my friend, ask him this question of maybe how he's doing or how he's feeling emotionally, that feels different from how our friendship has been in the past, like, that might draw my masculinity into question. And I've noticed in doing that question and being in those situations that, like, I actually don't feel any less of a masculine person in those situations. There is that change and there is that shift, but we're both there afterwards and we both actually find something awarding in it in that discomfort um and i still hold those masculine friendships and they feel deeper because of it and that in its own way is kind of like revalidated this new and like forming definition of masculinity for myself As 
As I was getting ready for my conversation with Unjan and Ocean, I was thinking a lot about the accessible spaces where conversations about masculinity are happening and who is having them. We'll talk a bit about the dark side of the internet where this conversation occurs in a little bit, but this research led me to a really well-done episode of the NPR show Life Kit. I'm going to link it in the show notes of this episode, but it offers some really accessible frames for defining masculinity on your own terms and thinking about how aligned your personal values are with your own thinking about masculinity. Is policing your own gender identity getting in the way of you being more vulnerable or expressing an emotion like fear or sadness? Have you thought about how that shapes your relationships? Ocean has worked through a lot of these questions, and it's led him to forming some really beautiful, close relationships with other masculine folks in his life. My best friend is a trans mass person who we say love you to each other, text, heart emojis, hug. (laughs) (laughs) When we ask, like, how are you to each other? We give, like, long and genuine answers. And we ask if, like, we want to go on walks or cook together or stargaze. For us, it has definitely been like both a learning and unlearning process because we both went through like learning how to be masculine in a more traditional sense and then unlearning that as we feel more comfortable and safer in our community and more confident in our genders. So, I mean, for a lot of people, it's hard to open up. It's a lot of years conditioning, but I think we both model through our own openness and... Hopefully, it will help people who are not as far along the journey to be comfortable in being intimate in friendships. I love that. And it demonstrates how it is um, like these concepts are something that we create in relationship with one another. And that brings me to something you were talking about, Anjan, um, and that you talk about a lot on Mask, which is how in mask spaces you can call other people in as opposed to calling them out. I'd love to hear about any examples that you have of calling someone in. So calling in is this idea where you bring someone to the table to engage in a conversation with them that might include ways in which their behavior or ways in which they've been has been harmful to others as opposed to like calling them out, which would just kind of be like exposing their harmful behavior and like calling attention to that for like some form of retribution. There's just a lot of stigma around these conversations in general. A lot of people fear that by just being involved in the conversation around masculinity, they're going to inherently be called out for ways in which they've been harmful. And I think that the accountability and, and speaking to the harm that we've been a part of and have helped enable through toxic expressions of masculinity. I think that's an important part, but it's not all of what we do. And it can be like really radical to show folks that conflict can exist. Like there's been moments in conversations at mask, several moments where when you get a lot of masculine folks in the room, especially when there's a lot of men in the room, there's going to be a lot of people taking up a lot of space. (laughs) Um, And uh, a core rule we have is like, being conscious of the space we have and making sure that, you know, all people have the opportunity to take up space. So there's plenty of moments in those conversations where I have to call folks in. I say like, hey, like, I appreciate you for sharing. And also like, let's make room for other people in this moment. Um, And I think that like those moments of conflict have been some of the more healing moments in those conversations because that moment itself can feel very tense. 
and they can feel like a lot of discomfort arise in that confrontation. And also, like, as the conversation continues and the circle comes back to them, like, it can be like, okay, like, harm can be done or, like, too much space can be taken. And we can move forward from that, right? Like, we don't have to dwell on something once it's been addressed. Yeah, I think you're bringing up this really good point around performance and this binary that shows up. I've been thinking a lot about internet culture. My brother at the very beginning of the show mentioned GigaChad, which is something I was not familiar with before this show. And if you're not, it's, it's this meme of this hypermasculine guy. And <laughs> I've been thinking about how so much of the conversation about masculinity, when we use terms like toxic masculinity, becomes about what you aren't. Like, I am not a toxic person because I don't do X, Y, Z, but it doesn't give you a lot of opportunities to talk about what you are and and what you do want a version of masculinity to be. And I'd love to end by asking you both to talk a little bit about kind of where you hope these conversations go. We mentioned kind of the toxic places where masculinity is being performed on the internet, but I think that there are spaces where there are healthy conversations happening. Obviously, Unjun, you're creating the space in real life with mask, but I'd love to ask both of you that. I mean, where do you hope to see this conversation about expanding masculinity go? Maybe just even like in the next couple of years, what would be a dream situation? <laughs> Ocean, I'll let you start. I feel like there isn't really an end point for me. Just like I feel like gender evolution doesn't really have an end point. I mean, nowadays we all talk about gender as social construct. And actually some people are just like, why do we keep using those labels? Like, why don't we just like stop saying masculinity and femininity or even like being gender neutral? And personally, I just feel like removing those words and like removing their histories and the meetings that they have changed throughout the years are kind of counterintuitive. <laughs> like we now know that the color pink or like high heels have been made for men at some point. And for me, it's really important to remember these histories and how gender stereotypes and expectation have harmed us. I feel like only through like keeping those words, we can have those conversations and reflect on our own internalizations and how our behaviors are shaped through those. I love that. Anjan, how about you? Yeah, I mean, for me, something that I feel like I've seen time and time again in spaces with math has been like how rich the conversation can be when you have folks who have different histories and different expressions of masculinity in the room together talking about masculinity. I think that a lot of trans folks and a lot of gender neutral folks and a lot of even cis folks have a lot that they can learn from one another in terms of their histories and expressions of masculinity. I also think that there's like a lot that we can align about and find in, in commonality and shared experience with and like not being so afraid to as well. I think conversations around gender and masculinity, I think a lot of them have happened historically like in like academia and spaces yeah. like that. And I think that part of that has led to like people feeling like there's like a set set of language that they need to have or like feeling inadequate to do that. And I think in mask something that we constantly are trying to do is just encourage people to speak from their lived experience and from what they know and also like being okay with people making mistakes 
I think we can try to like create safe spaces, but in reality, like mistakes and conflict are natural and also create intimacy. And being able to make a mistake and learn from that mistake and be like showed what was wrong in real time can be like a really powerful and healing experience for like a lot of folks involved. Embodied is a production of North Carolina Public Radio WUNC, a listener-supported station. If you want to lend your support to this podcast, consider a contribution at wunc.org now. Storytelling like Embodied is only possible because of listeners like you. This episode was produced by Kaya Finlay and edited by Amanda Magnus. Paige Perez also produces for our show. Skylar Chadwick is our intern, and Jenny Lawson is our sound engineer. Sean Rue also helped with the show. Quilla wrote our theme music. Special thanks to all the people who contributed to this episode, including Nikilesh, Charlie, Donat, and Aaron. Thank you so much for listening to Embodied. And if you like this show, the best way to support us is to share about it in your personal networks. Word of mouth recommendations are the best way to support our podcast, and we so appreciate your support. Until next time, I'm Anita Rao, taking on the taboo with you. Hey, y'all, it's Anita. Some exciting news that Embodied got nominated for an AMBI. It's a podcast recognition award, and we were nominated in the best wellness and relationships category. If you are a member of the Podcast Academy and can vote, we would love your support. Thank you so much to everyone who listens and supports our podcast. It means so much.